Turn, if you would, to the fourth chapter of the book of Proverbs. It's been several weeks since we've uh, been in Proverbs, so today's lesson is somewhat of a reintroduction to the book, because the first uh, large section of chapter 4 once again deals with the subject of why we should pursue wisdom. It's going to once again set out the contrast between the life that is spent pursuing wisdom versus the life that is spent pursuing folly. If you were here last week for the sermon, you remember that Ted used the book of Proverbs to uh, inspire us for the new year to spend the year seeking after wisdom. And he used uh, selected verses to do that. So we're going to read the first uh, big chunk of uh, chapter 4 pretty quickly because I really want to spend more time on the last eight verses of the chapter. Okay, so follow along. Listen, my sons, to your father instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound teaching, so do not forsake my teaching. We see this repeatedly. We have seen it repeatedly. His instructions to his children regarding pursuing wisdom what is interesting is picking up in verse 3 when i was a boy in my father's house still tender and an only child of my mother he my father taught me and said lay hold of my words with all your heart keep my commands and you will live we see this multi-generational pursuit of wisdom where the grandfather david passed on to his son, Solomon, who passed on to his son, you need to pursue wisdom. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. You saw this in the life of Solomon When he became king and he was told by God, I will give you whatever you want. And as a king, there were lots of things that Solomon might need. Power over his enemies, um, more land, more wealth, more, more, more. But what Solomon asked for when God told him that he would grant him anything, Solomon asked for wisdom because he understood that above everything, Anything else, wisdom, knowledge on how we are to live our lives in the fear of the Lord, knowledge about how we are to walk day by day is more important than anything else we could pursue. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. We have discussed in here as we work through Uh, Proverbs, the first three chapters, the fact that we pursue things, we spend our wealth on things, and a lot of these things are simply distractions from that which we ought to be pursuing, which is wisdom itself. The author of the book of Proverbs is telling us Wisdom is the most valuable thing. How do we learn? How do we begin to appreciate 
that wisdom is that important to our lives? Well, the easy answer is it takes faith. It takes faith to believe that doing things God's way is always better. Not sometimes, not occasionally, but always better than doing it the world's way. And doing it God's way is what wisdom is. Esteem her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. These are the promises that we will get if we pursue and embrace wisdom. Look at these words, esteem, embrace. These are words of strong affection. This is something that we want to pursue. It isn't something evil and wicked and terrible. It isn't the parent telling the child, do this, and the child goes, oh, do I have to? No. This is a life that views wisdom as a thing of great value and a thing to desire above all else. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it, for it is your life. Once again, notice the, the action words. Walk, run, hold on. Do not let go. These are all words that imply that we are striving to hang on and pursue wisdom in everything that we do. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil men. While there is a path of wisdom, there is also a path of foolishness, a path of folly. Do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way. Once again, active words. But instead of active pursuit, it's active avoidance. There is no place for a life of just rambling along, taking whatever comes your way. We are told there is a good, pursue it. There is wicked, avoid it. And each of these requires action and activity on our part. You can't just wander through life and expect to end up in the right path. For they cannot sleep. We're talking about the wicked again. For they cannot sleep till they do evil. They are robbed of slumber till they make someone fall. That is an interesting passage, actually. It's an interesting passage because what it tells us is that these individuals, well, they have an addiction to doing wickedness. They are so addicted to it that they really can't even go to sleep until they've done some wicked thing. That's kind of interesting. You remember back in Romans chapter 1 
where we talk about this downward spiral of sin, where we as created beings are told to worship the Creator, but we don't, and so God gives us over, and we pursue that which is wicked, and God gives us over, and we go down this downward spiral. Wickedness is addictive. Every sin produces a propensity for the next sin, which produces a desire for the next sin, which produces the, you get the picture. Yes? Wickedness, wicked anonymous? <laughs> you work on that one, okay? There probably is. If not, what you're dealing with when dealing with soul care, and we'll talk, we'll hear more about this in the sermon today, is you're dealing with the individual acts of wickedness, the sin, the anger, the management, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, dealing with bitterness, because all of those are the symptoms of this downward spiral. Let's continue. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of, wick of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Once again, the contrast is that those who are pursuing the life of wisdom are walking in the light. They are, they are able to see what is in front of them. They are able to understand what is happening. Those who are pursuing the path of wisdom, on the, I mean, of foolishness, on the other hand, are living in a life of darkness. They're running into things, and they don't know what it is they're running into. Don't we know people? Maybe we've been people who... All these things are happening in our lives and we don't see the connection. All these bad things are happening in our life and we don't see the connection that we're not pursuing what we ought to pursue and so we're just stumbling along from one crisis to the next. And that's what the wicked are doing. They are stumbling in the dark. Now at this point, we could have a nice long discussion about Christ being the light of the world. There comes a point when we recognize that we really can't deal with the sin that is in our lives and that we really do need Christ to come and be that light to show us the path and to deal with the sin that is in our lives. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Now we're going to slow down a little bit. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. 
Once again, we see the same pattern over and over and over again in the book of Proverbs. My son, pay attention. Once again, we have this mentality that I can kind of wander through life without paying attention, without thinking, without meditating, without any thought of the path that I'm going down. And once again, Solomon reminds his son, pay attention. Listen to what I am about to say. Do not let them, my words, out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. What I'm going to tell you is life itself. And he's going to use a series of body parts to teach us how we are to live our life. And here it comes. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Now, once again, we have said in here numerous times, when the Bible talks about the heart, it is usually not talking about the organ inside your body that pumps blood. Occasionally it actually is, but usually it's not. For the Hebrew, the heart is the center of who you are. It is your mind, how we think. It is your will, how we choose. And it is your emotions, which is how you are responding to the world around you. So Solomon, in his instructions to his son, begins by telling him to guard your heart. Here is your heart, and all of these things are going to be attacking it. All of these things are going to want to implant themselves in your heart, to impress into your heart their beliefs and ideas. And Solomon is telling him, above all else, don't let that happen. Why? Because when the bad gets in to influence the heart, it shows itself in our mind, our will, and our emotions. Now, we live in a society that sees actually no value in guarding our heart. I actually said 20 years ago that I believe our society is one big experiment to see how much garbage you can put into your life and still have a functioning society. Because our minds, our will, and our emotions are saturated with so many Wrong ideas, wrong choices, and wrong emotions. Let's look at each of these in turn. The mind is the source of all of our thinking. We won't get into a long discussion about mind, body problems, etc., etc., Let's just deal with the fact that your mind is dealing with the information 
that it takes in and it processes and that is what leads to the choices that you make in life. So, what should our mind be filled with? Come on, this is real easy. The Word. Our mind is to be saturated with the Word of God. Our mind is to be constantly bombarded with this is the path of wisdom. What is our mind bombarded with instead? Television. Foolish talk. Bad movies. The world in which we live. Yes. Garbage. The thoughts of the world. Now, if we had four hours for this lesson, we'd have a real interesting discussion at this point. Because you see, God does not call us to go, I believe, live in the desert, in the monastery, to keep ourselves clean from the impurities of this world. He really hasn't called us to do that. He has left us in the world for a reason. But he has left us in the world, but not of the world. And the only way we can be in the world and not of the world is if we are saturated in the word of God. Jesus Christ himself was accused on numerous occasions of being <gasps> a friend of sinners. He hung around with prostitutes. He hung around with tax collectors. He hung around with bad people. You notice the connection between prostitutes and tax collectors? Um, we won't go there. And the Pharisees of the time looked at him and said, you worthless human being. You're hanging around with all the wrong people. And he said, I was not sent to save those that are already saved. I was sent to save the lost. He was in the world. But he also was spending huge amounts of time in conversation with his father, God, and in his study and understanding of God's word. He was able to quote it regularly. By being saturated in his mind with the word of God, with the things of God, he was able to deal with the world as it was not as he maybe would have liked it to have been. We are called to live in this world. We are. We live next door to pagans. We interact with pagans during the day. That's life, okay? It just is. But in order to do that and to have an influence in the world... We need to guard what is coming into our minds. We need to say, I'm going to spend time studying this 
because this is good. This is true. This is holy. I'm going to avoid that. Now, I might add at this point that there are some people that are actually called, I believe, to deal with the false ideas, the false, and that's good. Somebody needs to deal with that. But they have prepared themselves with their understanding of the Scripture. They have prepared themselves with their understanding of the ways of God. They have prepared themselves so they are in a position to deal with the false ideas of the world. Dealing with the false ideas of the world is not a job for children. And I'm not talking about biological children. I'm talking about spiritual children. So, we have the mind. We have the will. Choices. The choices we make influence the next choices we make. You all agree with that? They produce habits. If I choose the lazy path, next time it will be easier to choose the lazy path. If I choose the path of wisdom, next time it will be easier to choose the path of wisdom. We need to guard the choices we make. Once again, we cannot live our lives as if it doesn't matter. As if it doesn't matter what choices that we make. We guard our mind and we guard our will because it is the source of the choices that we make in our lives. And finally, there is the emotion. We need to guard our emotions. Huh. What in the world does that mean? We have this belief today that our emotions, well, they just are part of us. And if you don't like your, my emotion, well, pooey on you, there's something wrong with you. The reality is emotions can be good and bad just like any other aspect of our lives. There are proper emotions when someone that we love dies, we experience grief, and that is proper, and that is okay. When Christ saw what was happening in his father's house, the temple, he was really ticked off. And you know what? That's okay. That's the right response. Emotions are okay. But we need to watch our emotions such that our emotions are in line with the Word of God. Huh. What was all that stuff that I was reading about wisdom? You know, the first part of this chapter that I raced through? It's an emotional response, a love of wisdom. Did that come naturally? It is a trained response. It is training our emotions to respond in the right way at the right time. Not just letting our emotions run free thinking, well, that's just who I am. Well, it may be just who you are, but who you are is a sinner in need of redemption. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase before, you know, 
we talk about, say, pornography and particularly men's propensity to uh, be involved in pornography because men are very visually oriented and they see pornography and it does things to them. Well, people have referred to a lot of romance novels as female emotional pornography because it is feeding on the emotions not the visual it is feeling feeding the emotions with responses that can no more satisfy than the visual pornography can satisfy the male it's an interesting connection yes It's always stuck back there somewhere, and it will have ramifications when you least expect it. Go ahead, Marilyn. Exactly. Huh? The observation is, aren't your emotions built in to who you are? And the answer is yes. So is your sin nature. And your sin nature has to be dealt with. I personally have heard people say this, okay? They get mad, okay? And they, their, their response is, well, that's just the kind of person I am. As if somehow that excuses it. It doesn't excuse it. It may be who they are. It may be the response that they've made 500 times before, but it still needs to be dealt with. If we have an inordinate emotional response to the wrong things, our emotion needs to be trained. And if you go back 200 years ago, this would have been obvious to people. Today, it's not obvious at all. In fact, it is so bizarre. I mean, how many movies, how many movies have you seen that have been built around the plot of I fell in love with them and I just couldn't help it? Well, you can't help it. If one of you is married, don't fall in love with them. End of story. I just couldn't, my emotion drove me and I couldn't stop it. That is your sin nature. So, Marilyn, you're right. Our emotions are part of who we are. Okay? I am not, not, not ever proposing that we become this rational super being that doesn't deal with emotions. Emotions are real. Emotions are good. Jesus Christ was an emotional person because he was a human being. But he had emotions that were under the control of the Holy Spirit. Pardon? Bringing all those things into obedience. Yes, Don. The 
power of a wild horse, you have to put the bit in it to put it under control. <laughs> I won't even go there. <coughs> but do you see what I'm saying? We have elevated emotion to a point that we can't even discuss it because it's just it just is. As I said, go go look at movies and see how many of them are driven by an emotion and oh, that's that and that we can't we can't argue with that. It just is. No, it's not. It needs to be put under the word of God just like everything else. Yes. It definitely does. His comment was, is this part of the idea of getting away from absolute truth? And it is. If there is no standard outside of myself, no standard of right and wrong outside of myself, then there is nothing to judge my emotions by. My emotions are, end of story. They are what they are, and there is nothing by which to judge them. Well, I did a while ago. Well, his comment is, the question is, Jesus' emotion at the temple. As I said just a moment ago, he got ticked off because these money changers had turned his father's house into a shopping mall. And he wasn't going to put up with it. What that tells us is that there is, and the Bible will support this, there is such a thing as righteous anger. Now, having said that, 99.999999% of the time that I get angry, Righteousness has nothing to do with it. 99.9999999. It is possible to be righteously angry because the Word of God, the house of God, the way of God is being defamed being uh, put in the mud and the muck of the world in our society today. And you know what? That is, that is supposed to make us angry. Yeah. So while it is theoretically possible, and we know that because Christ did it, we know that it is theoretically possible if you're anger emotion starts going off, you ought to do some heavy looking at your own heart before you respond just to make sure. It is possible. I'm, it is possible. That, yeah, the passage is, be angry and sin not. There is a possibility. It's like the word jealousy. You know, in our modern vernacular, the word jealousy is always bad. But we're told God is a jealous God. He has a relationship to, with us. And if we go chasing after idols, 
we are defiling that relationship. And God's not going to put up with it. He is a jealous God. In the same way, if my wife runs after other men, I have a righteous place to be jealous. Now, once again, our jealousy is normally, usually, not that righteous. Basically, it's me not getting my way. Okay? Did I answer your question? So, we are to guard our mind, our will, and emotions. We are to guard our heart because everything that we do, everything that we do comes out of that. It is the wellspring of life. Everything else comes out of that. Let's keep reading. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. We talked about the heart, and now we've moved to the mouth. Basically, don't say bad stuff. Why not? Well, it influences the world around us. But there's also another reason. What we say, are you ready for this? What we say impacts what we do. It really does. When I verbalize something, I have committed myself to a course of action. And if I am using perversity out of my mouth, wicked words, evil words, unloving words... I have committed myself to a path of perversity. What I say influences what I do, which influences who I am. Careless words. There is no such thing as a careless word, or there shouldn't be. There are careless words because we don't think about it's back to the comment earlier. We just kind of wander through life. And our words just kind of come out. And once again, people respond, well, that's just the kind of person I am. Well, stop it. <coughs> Deceitful words. Deceitful mouths. Yes, ma'am. Oh. <laughs> By using the word of God. No doubt about it. We do it all the time. We are to watch our words because our words have an impact. Put away perversity from your mouth, keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Yesterday, some of my kids were watching the movie uh, Secretariat. I don't know if you've seen it. Great ending to it. Well filmed, nice music. And my youngest asked one of my older daughters, why do the horses have these blinders on? Why do they have that? 
And my daughter responded, because I do have a daughter who is actually a horse expert. That's so they don't get distracted by the things around them. Now, we live in a world that believes we ought to go look at everything. We ought to be interested in everything. We ought to trace, track down, go after, pursue everything. And if you tell me not to, then you're a puritanical, fundamentalist, whatever, whatever word you want to use. The reality is life is short. The reality is we can focus on God and the things of God and pursue God and the things of God. Or we can focus on the world and spend our entire lives, our entire lives being distracted by every bobble on the ground. There is no shortage of things to distract us. None. None at all. Next week, we're going to talk in chapter 5 about the adulterous woman. Okay? That got Jim really excited over here. I don't know why. But the basic thought is this. When I am married, I am to look at one woman. End of story. Now, what we're going to see in the passages in chapter 5 is not only is it a matter of, well, that's what I have to do. It is a matter of that is what is best. End of story. Throughout life, we are to fix our eyes straight ahead so that we are not continually distracted by the things of this world. Jesus was able to interact with all of these so-called sinners, and they were sinners, with all of these sinners because his eyes were focused on the holiness of God and the love of God and the mercy of God, and he could deal with all those people around us. When we are focused on, oh, a little bit of pride, a little bit of lust, a little bit of anger, a little bit of narcissism, a little bit of me and mine, a little bit of what's in it for me, a little bit of this, and a little bit of Christianity, we're into a bunch of trouble. Keep your, your double-minded, or triple, or quadruple, or whatever number you want to come up with. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Take only ways that are firm. Don't see how close to the edge of sin you can get and not fall off the cliff. Don't see how close you can get to the bog of sin. Nice Pilgrim's Progress metaphor. Don't see how close you can get to the bog without getting stuck 
because one day you're liable to get stuck. It is interesting, this whole idea, though. Let me just end with this. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. There are some of us who would take this to mean, okay, if I don't know all the answers, if I don't know where God is sending me, I'm not going to go. But that really has nothing to do with this. Abraham was told to go, not knowing where he was going, and he went, and it was credited to him as righteousness, as faith. The reason he could do that is not that he had all the answers about the path in front of him. He knew God. The firm path is God. And once you have that relationship with God, God may send you to Timbuktu, literally. And you know what? That's okay. Because the firm path is not the road between here and Timbuktu. The firm path is your relationship with God. That's the difference. God may send you in places that you don't have a clue why you're there. We finished 2 Corinthians, and we dealt with the life of Paul. I mean, I wanted to go here, but God wanted me to go there. I don't know why. He had me got, I got beat up again. I got stoned again. I got shipwrecked again. I'm, does that sound like a nice, firm life? It was, because the life was based on Christ. And that's what made all the difference. The firm path does not mean I know all the answers. It means that I know the person who knows all the answers. And that's all the difference in the world. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Yes. Go ahead. Very good.
Well, thank you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you have shown us the path of wisdom, the path of life. And Lord, thank you for this prayer that we prayed 30 minutes ago that was already answered. I pray, Lord, you continue to help and work in this situation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.